Welcome to the Life Together podcast. Life Together is a Wednesday gathering for worship, Bible study, and community at Discover Church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We hope that this week's message will encourage you and challenge you. Our mission here at Discover Church is to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Our timing is going to be a little bit different tonight, and I want to explain to you why. Tonight we are in the middle of a five-week sermon series. And in this series, we're looking at one very special preacher in the Bible. His name was Paul. He was an apostle in the New Testament. And in one specific book in the New Testament, the book of Acts, there's a grouping of chapters between Acts 13 and Acts 21 where we hear this really awesome preacher preach how many sermons? And he preaches these five sermons in how many cities? (laughs) Good, close. So he preaches these five sermons in five different cities. And what is so awesome about his preaching style is because he changes his style in every every city that he's in. So he preaches these five sermons, but he changes them each time based on the people that he's talking to. We believe that God has called every person who is in Christ to be someone who shares good news. And we want to be the kind of people who share good news in a wise, compassionate, and compelling way. So every week of this series, we're looking at one of Paul's sermons, and we're asking the question, was it wise, was it compassionate, and was it compelling? And as we look at what he said, our prayer is that it informs what we say when we talk about the good news of Jesus Christ with our neighbors and our family, and that we could be a Paul-quality type of preacher when God has called you to preach good news. Now, tonight, we're adding something special, and we're going to keep doing this for the last three weeks of the series. So tonight, next week, and the week after, we're also hosting some special guests each week, which are people who I believe are already doing exactly what we're talking about in this series. People who are crafting the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach a specific people group. So tonight, I'm going to say hi to them right now, but they're going to come up in just a few minutes. We have a Tony and Zarina Lopak, which are over here. They're actually usually here on Wednesday night, so they're part of our Life Together family. Everyone say hi. So they're usually here, but you may not know this about them, but they are U.S. missionaries to the city of Milwaukee, specifically reaching out towards people from Muslim, Hindu, and Sikh backgrounds, usually people who are immigrants to America, and they have this amazing system of outreaches, English classes, and all of these services that they provide as a pathway to enter into someone else's culture. So they're going to be sharing with us tonight. We're going to get to ask them some questions about what that means to preach the gospel. I bet someone here in this room is going to run into a person from this people group in this city. They might be your neighbor. They might be at a park or the grocery store. And I think if we are more informed, we can be more wise, compassionate, and compelling. Next week, we're going to have with us Jake and Maria Valtiera. They are pastors of a Native American church here in Milwaukee. I'm excited to hear from them. And then on our final week, we're going to have Jeff and Catherine Winkleman with us. They are Chi Alpha campus pastors at UWM with the target of reaching young millennials, 18 to 22-year-olds. And so I'm really excited to hear from each one of our special guests, but we're still going to keep our pattern, and we're going to look at one city each week 
It just means that I need to move a little bit faster. So tonight we're going to kick off, and we're going to start off in the city of Athens, Greece, is where we're at tonight. Last week we opened with a story from Greek mythology that was not true. Tonight I need to open with a story from Greek history that is true. So the story I'm about to tell you, it is not in the Bible, but it was recorded by Greek historians. They wrote the story down 200 years after Christ about an event that happened in Athens 400 years before Christ. So we're going back in history here. 400 years before Paul walks into the city of Athens to preach, 400 years earlier, there is a great plague that occurs in Athens. And this great plague is so bad that 25% of the people who lived in the city at that time died. So if we compare that The most generous stats for COVID-19 assert that 0.3% of Americans died of a COVID-19-related disease. So you would have to take that impact and multiply it 80 times to see how bad it was in Athens during this plague. So one in four people died. It was this giant tragedy. And during that time period, the people of Athens were very devout in their worship of gods. And not even just Greek gods, but it was also every god that they could find or discover. There is specifically a hill in Athens, Greece, that is known as the Areopagus. And the Areopagus is this collection spot for all of these idols and altars. So during that time, it might be a Greek god, but they might have conquered some land over here. And when they conquered the land, they would lay down that idol on the boat and they would ship it into Athens. Or they would bring it in by cart and they would put it up on this mountain. And it was this collection on the Areopagus of all of these idols. And so the accepted belief during the plague was that one of these gods was mad at them. And the problem was, is they couldn't figure out which God was mad at them. And so they would do different ceremonies, different sacrifices for different gods that were up on this hill, and yet the plague continued. There was a specialist, a religion specialist, that was brought in from the island of Crete during the time of the plague, after they had tried everything they had known how to do, to figure out what to do next. I need to tell you about one very special altar that was on this hillside. If you went to Rome today and you went to the Palatine Museum in Rome, you would find this one very special altar. It's in Rome now, but it was moved from the Areopagus in Athens. And this altar is a little bit different because it doesn't have a name on it, a name of the God. But this altar is inscribed to the unknown God. So it says on the side of it, to the unknown God. It was their way of saying, we've discovered all of these gods, but we understand there might be one that we have not yet discovered. So let's go ahead and make an altar to this God. So they hired this religious expert to come in and help them solve the problem of the plague, help them figure out which God is mad at them. And this is what the religious expert did. He gathered together a flock of sheep, and he released a flock of sheep on the top of this hillside. And he said, I want you to watch where the first sheep sets down. And wherever the first sheep lays down, whichever altar they are closest to, that's how we will know which God is the God that is mad at us. 
Well, this one sheep sits down right next to the altar to the unknown God. They sacrifice the sheep, and the plague ends. Let's go to Acts chapter 17 tonight, and let's read what happens 400 years later when Paul walks into the city of Athens. This is Acts chapter 17. Let's read verses 16 through 18. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others say he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Let's pray as we begin to spend time in God's word tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us a guide. You have given us a light. And I pray that as we spend time in your word, help us hear you. Help us be easily teachable students. Help us be easily inspired students tonight. That your word would speak to us and our hearts would be shaped by it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So Athens had changed a lot in the 400 years from the plague to when Paul walks in. You know, back in the past, there were a lot of, like, devout believers in these gods. But Athens, in the time of Paul, was a lot more like Milwaukee. It was a big metropolis. There was lots of cultures, lots of people groups. So, yes, the Bible says that Paul went and spoke at the synagogue. And there were devout believers there. And, yes, he went down to downtown square. And there were some people there who still believed in the ancient gods. But then there was also this other group of people, and these people did not believe in the Greek gods like they once did. To them at this point, it was more like the way that we believe in Superman, where it was a nice story or a fable, and they thought of the Areopagus not as a temple worship station, but they thought of it more as a cultural museum. And these uh, philosophers there were put into two groups. They were called Epicurean and Stoic. We have those two listed in verse 17. And Epicureans believe that pursuing and refining pleasure is the path to a fulfilling life. So they're not religious people, or at least they didn't think of what they believed as a religion. They thought of it as a group of people who had advanced past the uneducated understanding of religion. They now were going to live their lives in a different way, free from the bondages of religion. So an Epicurean, it's not so much about overindulgence as it is attuning oneself to be grateful and thankful for the pleasures that do exist in this life. So if you are someone who really enjoys a perfect sunrise or a double cheeseburger at Culver's, you would be someone who could sit down and have a really good conversation with an Epicurean. The other philosophy that's listed there is Stoic. And as Stoics believe that virtue holds the world together, that wise people are self-governed people, and if everyone would pursue these ideals, live by these virtues, the world would be a better place. So if you've ever written a thank you note in the last six months, if you're the type of person who actually stops for three seconds at a stop sign, you could have a really good conversation with a Stoic. Tonight, we're going to take these two different philosophies, and we're going to put them together to talk about the people who Paul is preaching to. Because he's not preaching to the people in the synagogue in Acts chapter 17. He's not talking to the people who still believe in the gods. He's talking to these philosophers, 
these very smart people, these people who like to sit around and talk about ideas, and we're going to put these two groups into one group tonight, and we're going to give them the category of educated atheists. So they're atheists because they don't believe in God, but they're educated because of the way that they pursue that, because uh, debate and logic and philosophy, this is what they lived for. This was what they worshipped. There's an American journalist named George Horace Lorimer, and he said it this way, if there's anything worse than knowing too little, it's knowing too much. Education will broaden a narrow mind, but there's no cure for a big head. So, So here's the question for you to consider. Who do you know in your life that might fall into the category of an educated atheist? Someone who is convinced that there is no God, and along the path to their conclusion, they might have also concluded that religious people, like yourself, are less knowledgeable, less smart, less enlightened. How could you share good news with someone like that? Let's read Paul's sermon, and let's see how he does it. Acts 17, verses 22 and 23. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Okay, so does Paul start off easy? No! He just called him ignorant in the first three seconds. If you remember last week, last week he's talking to a group of superstitious polytheists, and he calls them friends. And he starts off very softly and gently. This is a different culture of people, and he is taking a different approach. If I was driving my car through the beautiful village of Greendale, Wisconsin, and I was down in that nice downtown area, and I rolled down my window to another car, and I yelled, Hey, what's the matter with you? It would not go over well. I would be, I would, it would appear that I was being very rude. Now, if I did the exact same thing somewhere in downtown New York, it would appear as if I was a New Yorker, right? And sometimes different personalities or thinkers that may be louder, harsher, stronger, quicker might require a different approach. Paul is pushing them, and yet he's pushing them in a very witty way. He can't start by quoting the Bible because they don't believe in the Bible. So he decides to work with what he has, and what he has is what they have. Their culture, their stories, their history. Paul says, okay, so I know that you guys are very educated. I know that you love deep intellectual conversations. I know that you love knowledge. You know, you almost could say that you worship knowledge. Do you know people like that in your life? You know, people that worship knowledge, they worship their degree, their professionalism, their job title, their accomplishments, their tenure. Paul says, you know so much, but could it, could I possibly interest you with a new discovery? People who love to learn One thing that will always interest them is a new discovery. This is Paul's TED Talk. He's like Steve Jobs explaining to you a new feature on the iPhone. 
And once he gets up and he teases them with the idea of a new discovery, a new idea, he suddenly has everyone's attention. And even if he was a little bit rude, they don't care. They just want to hear what this new idea is. All the smart people are leaning in. Paul says, I was walking around this museum of idols and altars, learning about your culture, and I noticed that one altar is inscribed to the unknown God. So your ancestors weren't only worshiping what they knew, they were also worshiping what they didn't know. What if there's something really important that you don't know? I would challenge every single person in this room, no matter how smart you are, what if there was something really important that you don't know? Paul captures their attention, and then he starts describing God. I would like to think that every single person who's in Christ, who's a follower of Jesus Christ, should aspire to the ability to be better at describing God. Let's listen to how Paul does it. Here's verses 30 and 31. I'm sorry, 24 to 27. Paul says, he is the God who made this world and everything in it. And since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. I love this. We're in a beautiful church tonight, but can I remind you, the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs because he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. He satisfies every need from one man. He created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determines their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far away from any of us. Isn't that awesome? That, that's a great sermon right there. If you are in that place in life right now of exploration and curiosity and doubt, I want to tell you to don't be afraid. Ask any question you want to ask of your Heavenly Father. He has made himself available so that we can reach out with our hearts, with our minds, and our prayers, and we can discover God and find God, and he is the God who is not far away from any of us. Amen. Paul preaches this sermon. He describes who God is to them. He says, yes, there are people who still believe in this idols, but this is a group of educated atheists that Paul is speaking to. He's talking to them. You know, and I know that there might be um, people in this room, and you might be really good at describing cool things in your life. You might be good at describing the stock market or how to smoke meat or how to put on makeup or how to uh, bake a souffle. But could you get better at describing God? Could you get better at describing who he is? So are you ready for Paul to push again? He's going to push again. And do you remember how he called them ignorant in the first three sentences? Well, he's going to use that word one more time, and I don't think you're going to miss it. Here's verses 30 and 31. Paul says, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in early times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. So here's why Paul is pushing. He's describing God who is awesome and powerful. And he's also describing a God that can't be ignored. He's standing on a hillside with hundreds of idols and altars. 
Yes, there are people who still believe in these idols, but to this group of educated atheists that Paul is speaking to, they've moved on, and it would be so easy for them to hear a nice History Channel special about this new God and sit back and go, hmm, isn't that interesting? And sometimes in educational circles, we can sit and listen to someone's story, and we just go, well, isn't that nice? Thank you for sharing that, that stirring story. And Paul is preaching Jesus in a way that cannot be ignored. He is preaching Jesus in a way that does not lead to applause, but it leads to action. He says, you need to repent of your sins. There was a time when God would overlook your ignorance, but Jesus has arrived. He was here. He said who he was, and then he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. He is the Son of God. The example has been laid out, and now God will not overlook your ignorance. You need to repent of your sins and come to Christ and be changed. Paul says, you cannot ignore this. He finishes his sermon, and, and what happens? So what happens is it's a mixed bag. The Bible tells us that some people laughed at him, and the Bible tells us that some people wanted to know more. I think it is so revealing of Paul's character, his willingness to continue to walk into difficult circumstances. We're going to give Paul's sermon the test. We've been giving the test every week, and so here's the test. Question number one is, was it wise? Yes, it's very wise. Can I, can I push us a little bit? Is there times that we as Christians are too lazy to learn about the cultures of the people we're trying to reach? Is there action and research that he did to understand and truly care for these Epicureans and Stoics in order to preach to them in a language they would catch and to walk with them in their steps in order to reach them that they might receive good news? Okay, was it compassionate? Yes, I believe it's compassionate. And I also believe that just his effort to have this conversation reveals his compassion. I think there are many times in America that we can sit in our house and we, we can look to our neighbor to the left who has a nice lawn and they're well-behaved and they'll take out the trash for us when we're out of town and they don't know Jesus. And we're like, we should invite them to church. They would be great at church. I bet they play the guitar. We should let them join our church. And then the house next door to us, the lawn is overgrown. The kids wake up at 6 a.m. and they're screaming on a trampoline. <laughs> and when we come home with one invitation to Kids Summer Jam, doesn't go to the house. And there are times where we avoid the difficult cases. And compassion says... Every single person is worthy of the love of Christ. Every single person can be redeemed. And every person is worth your rejection. So if you're going to get laughed at, be laughed at. If you're going to be rejected and turned away, if they're going to think less of you, let them think less of you at the risk of them thinking more of Christ. Take the risk, and his compassion shows this. He doesn't just hang out in the synagogue with the nice Jewish people that he can communicate with. He doesn't hang out with, with just the, 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 the poor peasant people. He goes and hangs out with the judgy, educated atheists. He walks in there, and he says, I want you to know about Jesus Christ. 
Third question is, was it compelling? Yes, it's compelling. He doesn't let you sit back. He says there was a time when your ignorance could be overlooked, but that time is past. You need to get up. You need to take some action. Um, we're going to invite some very special friends to the stage. This is Tony and Maria Lopak. They are friends of our church and friends of Milwaukee. And let's welcome them as they come up to join us. I'm going to make a little more space for you. They were here this morning as well with our morning group and um, just did an awesome job. And we got to have lunch together. And so I learned more stories from them. And it's just really cool how when someone, I'm sorry, the easiest way to do is those stairs and then come around. I'm, I'm 6'1 and I can kind of mountain climb anything. Um, and so I'm really glad that they're here with us today. And I just want them to share a little bit about what they're doing. Because some of you may not know them at all. And so I want this to be your introduction to what their daily lives are like and what, I'm so sorry, I picked the tallest chair. If I was more culturally sensitive, I would have brought a chair for the shorter people of the world. <laughs> Show compassion and compelling, wise. <laughs> Serena, tell us about your outreach in this city and what that target has been like for you guys. Um, I, my name is Serena, and um, I, I was um, born in the Caribbean. Um, I'm a fourth-generation Indian. Um, my, both my parents, uh, my mom was Hindu. My mo dad was um, uh, Muslim. I forgot what he was. <laughs> and... Um, growing up... Um, you know, it, life was, um, it was difficult at times, and because um, we didn't know, I didn't know Jesus then, and um, we had family members that were, not family members, or close um, neighbors that were Christians, but they wouldn't share with us about how we can, um, I can go to he heaven, they shared, you know, they would always make fun of us and tell us we'll go to hell. Um, until I met a woman that I worked with, and um, she was a Christian, and um, she, she, through her lifestyle, I saw that something was different in her, and I wanted her. Um, three years later, um, I moved to um, the U.S. and um, in New York, and um, my sister-in-law by that time, she was... Um, listening to Joyce Meyer, and she had just gotten saved and tried to, to get me saved, but I didn't want to hear anything about it. And then I moved to Wisconsin, and um, then, you know, through disappointments and different things that was going on in my life, I started to look at the television, and then Joyce Meyer was there, and I heard her sharing about the gospel and how Jesus can change your life and he can do this and and um he can make your life better and um so i i thought to myself well i've tried everybody else and nothing is working because i was even you know i tried sikhism i was actually going to a sikh temple i was follow, trying to read up on buddhism because just trying to find peace because there was no peace in my life there was no joy in my life and i um so I tried, I gave my life to, to Jesus that day, and then things started to change. I, um, my sister-in-law said that, you know, she's like, encourage me, you should go to church, you know, and I'm like, no, I don't think I want to go to church, because I've never, you know, I didn't want to go to a church, 
and I didn't know how that was going to be like. I didn't know anybody here. And, um, but then she pushed, and I, um, I called Joyce Meyer, and I asked, well, can you tell me, um, you know, recommend a church in my area? And they looked it up, and they said, oh, um, you can go to Brookfield Assembly of God, which I did. And um, I called, and I, I, I'm like, I didn't even know where Brookfield was because I lived in Milwaukee. And um, then, lo and behold, it was like just um, a few blocks away from the Sikh temple that I was going to. <laughs> so I, I started attending church. The day I went, the first day I went to church there, it was, you know, I felt everything that I wanted, the peace. I didn't even meet anybody yet, but I just stepped in there and I felt the peace that I wanted, that I was uh, craving for all these years. And um, I got water baptized there, and then I got a job. So I was on staff there for some time until God called us, you know, that's where I met my husband, and um, I was, God was bringing people in our paths that will not necessarily come to church, and I had this um, friend who was Hindu and given her life to the Lord, and, um, but she wasn't allowed to come to church, and I was not allowed to speak about Jesus at the, in their home because he didn't want it, and um, so we started you know, we were looking for creative ways for her to hear the gospel. And so we had a couple other friends, a Muslim lady and another uh, Sikh lady. And so we decided to do a Bible study about um, praying for your husband, you know, a power of a praying wife. And so we would pray and um, and then we saw, he, you know, the group grew, grew bigger and bigger and I'm like, you know, um, I, it was hard to do, to work full time and then do these ministry out there. So God was calling, you know, started to speak to Tony and I that we needed to reach people out of church. So um, after that, we started um, a, a couple's Bible study with a few Christian people who have given their life to the Lord, but they were just needed to grow in their faith. So we had about between us, uh, including ourselves, we had uh, like four people, four families, sorry, and they had little children as well. And now it has grown. So it was, it started off just as a, you know, these people trying to learn more about Jesus. And then we had other families that were coming into Milwaukee, well, just Wisconsin, to work in. Um, and then how much has it grown to now? Over 50 families have come through. Families, yeah. Yes, families. And we're talking about young families. I, I want to make sure that, like, I want to make sure everyone is catching what, what, what Zarina is saying here tonight. Did, did you catch there, there were two types of Christians that interacted with her mm-hmm. and her story? That there was, first, there was the type of Christian who showed up at her door with no relationship and tried to explain to her why she was going to hell. And, and then there was the type of Christian who built relationship with her. And if you think, like, from the first time that you met that Christian with that positive influence to the time that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, like, what's that time period like? It was about three years. Yeah. Because I had other people come into my life after that. And, um, and like, like w- would you care enough for three years? W- would you be patient enough for three years to see seed go into good soil yes. and, and grow. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and so then like the, the multiplication factor of what happened in Zarina's life that's now happening with, with you guys. Tell us about some of the things you guys are doing right now in the city of Milwaukee. Um, we work with refugees and immigrants that um, come from all over. We have people, the refugees come from like a multiple um, places like, you know, the Middle East, um, Africa, continent, Burma, um, Syria, Afghanistan, um, Ukraine. We also have a lot of immigrants that uh, come over the border, that uh, come in through our doors. So one of the things, um, some of the things we uh, we saw that the, um, that we needed to do and that they needed help with was uh, learning English as a second language so they can get a job. So we started to do English as a second language um, and reaching out to them. And, and also, in that time, we were able to share the gospel with them because they knew my name, Zorina, is a Muslim name. And my head was uncovered, and some of the women will come to the center, and they will ask, well, you know, your, your name is Muslim, you know? I'm like, yeah. And it's like, well, you don't, you don't cover your head? I'm like, no. And then, you know, they see my chain. I have a little cross here. And they're like, well, you're a Christian. And I'm like, yeah, I, had, I, had a, um, I was able to choose. And, you know, it would just bring um, conversations and, and share it with them. Um, I would That's share so with cool. them my life, That's you know, so cool. what, how God has changed me. Tony, can you talk a little bit about what this was like for you? <laughs> Not growing up in Trinidad as a Muslim, I'm guessing, um, <laughs> and how you kind of came on board with God calling you guys as a couple into this together. Well, it was really a, a God thing because I grew up as a Christian. I, I accepted the Lord way back in 1986 at Brookfield Assembly of God and started in children's ministry there. And uh, but like. I I'm assume I'm not the only one. Many of you, uh, you go to church just because you're afraid to, you're not going to go to hell. You know, I mean, that's how I accepted the Lord, uh, is I, I just was doing it out of fear that there was something uh, out there that I, I just didn't want to, I wanted to avoid going to hell. So, but I, I, I searched for the Lord, and I, I did the Bible studies. I did the uh, coming this Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I did everything I thought I was supposed to do, but I was a very poor, um, poor Christian. I, I had a bad attitude towards immigrants and refugees and, and uh, people coming over the border. I, you know, I would be angry with them because they, they're the ones that are stealing our jobs, and, you know, I would just get all upset. And... Uh, but then the Lord, you know, did through a series of events changed me. And one wonderful event is uh, getting to meet this wonderful woman right here. Um, if if you haven't met if you haven't met anybody uh, from an, another cultural background, and, and uh, you know, you'd be amazed what you could learn from them. And so I'm I'm just amazed at what God did. He changed my heart. Now I have. Uh, desire to reach out to the lost uh, uh, from all over. God is a creator of all people, of all nations, from everywhere. And it doesn't matter if they're coming across the border, if they're doing anything illegal, we'll still share the gospel with them and love on them to the best of our ability. That's so cool. Amen. I know that time is going to run away from us faster than we want it to. Can you share the story of your recent visit to the mosque? Yes, because um, we have built relationships with the 
people in that community, um, and especially the Muslims, they have um, they opened a new mosque and they invited us to come to their mosque. And um, at first, I didn't want to go, but they, you know, I told Tony he can go and um, he should go. Uh, but I wouldn't go, and they're like, no, bring your wife. And he's like, well, I think they want you to come, so come. So we, we went to the mosque, and they did their ceremony for the opening, and they were grateful that we were there, and um, they introduced us. And um, as you know, brother Tony and sister Serena are here, and they helped the community, and they wanted him to say a few words. And they gave my husband a mic, and... <laughs> I thought we were going to be, be pushed, you know, stoned, really, because <laughs> coming from the back, that background, yes. Um, but Tony was able to share with them why we do what we do, and he basically laid out the gospel message in the mosque with a room full of men and young children there who were waving at us, and I wouldn't even look because I'm like, my eyes were closed, and I'm like, this ain't, you know, I thought it was a dream, but. Um, Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> and like, again, like, I want you to think about the pathway of choices for a Christian, because it would also be a path to go, I can't go into a mosque, there's demons there, I couldn't possibly do that. Where is Paul at in Acts chapter 17? He is standing surrounded by hundreds of altars and idols. He is in this place used for temple worship, and yet, by walking into their culture, he is given this invitation to speak into their lives. I think that's so cool to imagine. I wish I could have been there to hear some gospel presentation going from people they know, people they love, people who had already invested in their lives, telling them about the Jesus Christ who drives them and leads them to be the people that they are. That's so cool. Okay, one more question. Oh, this is for Tone. Oh, can oh, I just say, yes. and when it was all over, we didn't get stoned. Okay, good. They, 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 as a matter of fact, they asked us for more help. They, hey, there's a new family. Can you help this family with uh, this issue they have? So we just dove right in and, and helped them. Okay, Tony, this question's for you. And just on a practice question, for someone in this room who maybe has not had any interaction with someone who's Muslim, if I am at a playground, my neighbor, grocery store, and there's a woman in a hijab, how does that interaction happen? Like, what is a way to open a conversation there, and what's appropriate and not appropriate? Well, it's more appropriate if you're a man to you know, talk with another man, not to go up to a woman that you haven't known in a hijab. That They might be a little taken off on that. Um, unless uh, God opens a situation um, where you, maybe they fall down and you help them up or, or whatever. Uh, but something, uh, some kind and compassionate thing that you can do. But if you uh, see a man and a woman together, you, if you're a man, you address the man. If you're a woman, you address the woman. And that's a little more culturally uh, appropriate, number one. And number two, uh, we, we want to try to, you know, our ministry is based on uh, the wise, compassionate, compelling, uh, just like you talked about. By number one, the wise part is building relationships. You can't speak into somebody's life and tell them about Jesus or hit them over the head with a Bible if you haven't built that relationship first. 
Think of yourself when you first came to know the Lord. If somebody just told you, you're going to hell, you better listen to me, and I'm going to tell you, you know, uh, you're not going to listen. Matter of fact, you're going to turn away and run, you know. And so, you know, you build that relationship first. That's the wise part. The, the compelling part is you uh, offer them assistance of whatever help they may need. If you see somebody in the mall or something and they're, they're struggling with reading a, a menu at a restaurant or they're struggling with um, communicating, you know, help them out. And, and, you know, sometimes if we as Americans can talk really fast. You know, we can talk so fast. We, saw, we talk so fast. Nobody can understand what we're saying. But... When your English isn't your first language, you know, sometimes if we just slow down, talk a little bit slower, not not so slow that you're dumb, but because um, they're not dumb, they're smart people, but um, just talk a little bit slower, then they can understand. I can't tell you how many people we've translated for not even knowing their language just because we could uh, speak a little simpler and, and slower English than others. So so do that and, and, and meet a need. And then at, once you built that trust, you can offer hope in the name of Jesus. And even if you don't know how to share the gospel with them, you're, you know what? You may be the only person that Jesus would ever, that they would ever see. Be the only Jesus that they would ever see because they see Jesus in you. Because you're carrying Jesus with you wherever you go. He's always with you. And uh, just let the power of the Holy Spirit lead you and he'll direct you in, in how you can help. But you have to be willing. And if you're not willing, Jesus isn't going to use you. But if you, if you say, God, open this door, give me an opportunity today who I, can, who I can help, who I can minister to, you'd be surprised what doors will open for you. And because God is uh, looking for people to serve, uh, you know, like, like it always says, the, the laborers are few, right? And uh, so thank you. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we see you in person. Join us Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. right here at Discover Church. Find us online at discoverchurch.org.